Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Tales to Admonish with your co-host Tom and the man who might be the strongest Nexus being in the galaxy, Arthur Romeo. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) On this week's episode, we find out that a Lego set by any other name just isn't the same. Intellivision returns after 40 years to release the new Amico on October 10th. And if you don't know who Intellivision is, don't worry, you're not alone. We'll clue you in and tell you why you probably don't care about it. (laughs) We talk about Rick and Morty, Season 5, Episodes 1 and 2. A little bit of the old, a little bit of the new, but I think overall they're doing an excellent job. And of course, we're going to finish up today's episode by talking about both Sweet Tooth. We get a few more episodes in and it's only getting weirder. (laughs) And we wrap up with Loki, Season 1, Episode 4. The Nexus event. It was a crazy one. So join us on Tales to Admonish. <laughs> go oh man, that might be the fastest I ever ran through an intro. Oh, that is fantastic. Chef's kiss. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. It's, you know, we've both been super busy today, so this might be a little bit shorter episode than people are accustomed to, but I think we're, we're, we're going to pack some content in, so that's good stuff. Oh, yeah. Pack it in. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing really, really well. How are you doing? I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty good. Just uh, just working a lot, you know? I know you are. I was hoping you get a bit more work because I recently saw that Yashahime Princess Half Demon Season 2 comes out in October. What? I didn't even know. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the Japanese release. They haven't given an official release date for what will be, you know, the one available in the States. But Oh, I, I, I know exactly what they do. Um, basically, you know, if they're doing like uh, the sub, the, you know, the original uh, uh, recorded release, they, they usually, if, they, if they're working really hard, they usually have the uh, dubbed out maybe th- within three to four weeks of the uh the original recorded wow it's that fast i'm gonna be working soon (laughs) well i'm glad i could be the guy who brought the good news yeah it was just announced i was looking through some news this morning and just saw it october 2nd in japan so cool huh yeah the show doesn't the show doesn't seem that hard to produce honestly if you look at the animation i mean it's it's Mm -hmm. nice but like i mean it's not super fluid animation no 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 it's more story than you know super high production cost it's a romp like a lot of anime are so that's really good to hear i'm so glad i got that news today (laughs) (laughs) just so you guys know i played jubei on yashahime if you guys are new uh listeners you can check that out on hulu that's right arthur's a professional voice artist so when he tells you uh something about the voice industry you know you're getting it from an insider you're getting that inside dope inside baseball baby (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh don't talk about baseball the yankees are terrible god they no, find they invent yankees. new ways to lose baseball games every every day but man otani out there in los angeles is amazing so i've been watching some baseball on the west coast you got some good teams out there oh wow yeah i wouldn't know anything about it <laughs> well you, you tell me about video games and i'll tell you about baseball but actually i got some video game news for you today sir Oh, snap. So, you know, we had E3 just a couple of weeks ago, the 2021 E3, where they were announcing not a whole lot of really innovative stuff, but just sort of giving everybody a taste of some new games to come. And you had reported on that. Taste it. Mm-hmm. Well, I read an article that was interesting to me because I'm a little bit old school. I grew up, mm-hmm. I had an Atari. 
And Mm -hmm. Atari's predominant competitor back in the early 80s was a system called Intellivision. Yeah, I I remember those. Mm -hmm. They were uh, rudimentary systems that were meant to go up against like the Sega Master System. And, you know, we're talking Pong here, literally like one bit, two bit, three bit systems. E.T.? That game was horrible. Oh, I had E.T. I had it. I got it for Christmas. Everybody and their mother got that game for Christmas in 1985. And I got that game for Christmas in 1985. And six-year-old me, even six-year-old me knew that that game was fucking unplayable. What about Pitfall? um, Pitfall, Pitfall. Pitfall was cool. Pitfall was all right. And Mm -hmm. I I mostly played like, um, uh, what is it? Uh, The the Galactica or something like that. I don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. I was six. So in any event, so a television <laughs> is back. They are back and they are going to release a brand new console on October 10th of this year. And it is called the Intellivision Amico. And the nearest I can tell, it is uh, a system that is meant for boomers. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I mean to say is, is like when you listen to the guy and I can't, I should have his name in my notes, but I don't, but the, the guy who's selling the system, who did the presentation at E3, he talks about the niche that he's hoping that this system is going to fill. And the premise of it, one of the tenets of the Amico is that new players have to be able to be competitive with someone who's been playing a game for a prolonged period of time. Also, the controls must be intuitive with minimal instruction. And when I talk about the controls... It's literally this this weird little square with a dial in the middle of it and a 3.2 inch touchscreen. So there's not going to be a whole lot of buttons. The dial does operate as a D-pad and there are two shoulder buttons, so to speak. But the controller is super, super simplistic. And they've also specifically banned 3D worlds for any game that is on the Intellivision. So you cannot have, it is 2D old school video game. Now I'm not a gamer per se, but how do you think this thing will do? Uh, it sounds terrible. <laughs> you know, I, honestly, like, I mean, if any, any, like, uh, there's a lot of companies that try to uh, come in with their new console or whatever. You know, Google tried to do theirs with Stadia. You oh know? yeah, yeah, um, that's true. And you know, it, it's just you know, there's diminishing returns there, and um. Yeah, like I mean, they're trying to fill a void that's just overwhelmingly filled already from other companies, like and, or by your phone. Yeah, you know, and then and then if you just think about the name of that, that name isn't going to catch on anywhere. If Nintendo couldn't make the Wii U work, how are they going to make this work? You know, what well, I mean? and the Wii U is a good comparison because that's really the only other system we have where you have a handheld touchscreen that interacts with your main mm-hmm. television. And people yes. largely didn't seem to dig it. Well, they didn't know what it was. That's that was the whole thing. Nintendo did a ba- such a bad job marketing that thing. They thought it was an attachment to the Wii, when it was a whole other console. It was the most embarrassing thing, like one Got of the most it. embarrassing yeah. like events in video game history, the release <laughs> of that system. So, yeah, I don't really see them doing that well. I mean, ev- everyone they already have their video games and stuff. <laughs> Well, if you think it sucks now, let me give you the technical specs. One of the things that's got people riled up is that it is using a processor from uh, a 2016 smartphone that retailed for a hundred bucks. 
<laughs> They're using Jeez. a 1.8 gigahertz Snapdragon 624. I mean, it, that may not be the exact process they end up using, but that's the technical benchmark that they're providing. It has two gigs of RAM in it, which nothing, my, my phone has more than that now. But so I'm not quite sure who the market is, but I, I don't want to just totally trash this thing. It does have a couple of good things going for it. Mm. Number one, they are banning DLC and in-game purchases. And number two, no game can exceed $10 in cost. So I actually do like that. That I can appreciate, that they want to make a system where you buy the game, you own the game. Now, if there's a thing in the game, you can play it. You don't have to spend, you don't have to pre-order from GameStop to ensure that you're able to get 100% of items in a game. That I like. Now, does that bother you? Like, because I don't play a lot of video games, so I can only just speak conceptually i play a little bit on my phone but like i don't know how much um, do things like loot crates and dlc bother you i mean i mean when you look at the games that they offer and it's mostly indie games that you'll find for like five dollars ten dollars fifteen dollars i mean those games are out there so it's not like you're really a big whoop like every game will be ten dollars like, okay so what like are they good games you know what are these <laughs> games like I, you know i i'm i'm more than willing to pay seventy dollars for a Ratchet and Clank game, a game that looks like it's a Pixar game, like, you know, like, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. so I don't think that they're, I don't know who they're speaking to when it comes down to that because, you know, people play games for free on their phone. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this is like another, and I feel like we made this comparison before, that um, the launch of that channel that was supposed to be on your phone. Oh, yeah. Because Katzenberg was the, it was like kind of the the brains behind that thing. And it just reeks of like an older person thinking he understands younger people. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's that's what this thing sells to me as because the guy constantly says, you know, games are so complicated and we don't play them with our families. And how is a parent supposed to go play Call of War with their child if they don't even know how to operate the controller? It's called Call of Duty, you old Jesus motherfucker. Christ, let me <laughs> Fuck. No, no, that's that's funny. Because like you're 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 marking that guy not saying it right. You're exactly right. I'm the anachronistic forty yeah. year old that they're talking to. Yeah. I don't know. Let's go play Call of War, son. And you're like, oh god, you <laughs> suck, dad. <laughs> and then I dab as I walk down the hall to his bedroom. <laughs> He's like, oh Jesus, Jesus, why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. Like so like it's like who are you talking to? Yeah, I guess they're talking to me and I still think it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good luck so. to them. I don't know. I, I think it's just when you try and market something to the sensibilities of an older crowd with a younger product, you're gonna run afoul of those sensibilities somehow. Mm-hmm. Speaking of running afoul of some people's sensibilities, I've got a really stupid one for you. We only got to talk uh -oh. about it for a moment. And I really want to, I want to dish you the full stupidity here. So uh, we love Star Wars. We don't talk about Star Wars as much as some other people do, but we do. We like never Star talk Wars. about Star Wars. We sometimes talk about Star Wars, but then you stonewall <laughs> me when we do. I'm talking about Luke Skywalker's hand. And the only thing you got to offer is who cares? So I got nothing I can do with that, so I move on. But I do like Star Wars, and I care, goddammit. But anyway, I'm not going to let you stonewall me on this one, because we're going to talk Star Wars, and we're going to talk Lego. And I know you like Legos. I love you so much, Tommy. I know, I know. 
Just give me something to work with, man. This is a fucking show here. <laughs> so, so Star Wars obviously has always teamed up with Lego. Some of the most iconic Lego sets that you can buy are the Star Wars Lego sets. So it's no surprise following the popularity of the Mandalorian that we recently got a Lego set for Boba Fett's starship. Or, as it is known canonically, Slave One. Oh no, Slave! Bum, bum, <laughs> Easy, Jar Jar. So, they... Um... <laughs> I, can't even go, I can't even go on from that. <laughs> Me, me, so I can't wait to watch a slave run name change. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, he's racist too, goddammit. It's all racist. It's racist all the way down. (laughs) Always was. So you could understand how Lego might be a little hesitant to stamp the word slave on a toy box, right? And so they didn't. So they decided they weren't going to. Now, interesting note is, is that Uh, In none of the movies is the ship ever referred to as Slave One. It is referred to that in the novelizations, and it is canonically accepted that the name of the ship is Slave One. Mm -hmm. But it's never actually said in the movies. So when Lego decided that they were going to put out Boba Fett's starship uh, playset, they took the name off the box. And of course, of course, the conservative tears did flow. As they always do when you destroy their childhood. Because do you mm-hmm. understand, Arthur, that if you change the name of Boba Fett's ship, that you have literally destroyed someone's childhood, wrecked it yeah. to pieces. And Poor they're going to cry all over Twitter and tell you about it. But one of the funniest fucking things was, was there's an actor, uh, I use that term very loosely, <laughs> and BFX artist, and I'll use that term fully because that's his occupation, who once played Boba Fett for 14 seconds. And his name is Mark Anthony Austin. And the thing about Mark Anthony Austin is that when George Lucas went and did his re-edit slash, you know, special edition of the first three movies, which people pretty universally derided, he needed a stand-in for Boba Fett for a couple of shots. So he got one of the VFX artists from the original Star Wars to put on the suit and walk around a little bit. And he filmed Mm -hmm. it. So this guy is now swearing up and down, he is Boba Fett. So he goes on the internet and he says, no one gets to rename his starship. Jeez. (laughs) This motherfucker is on Twitter speaking as Boba Fett in the first person. Ooh, Lord. You are a literal life model decoy. I guess, I guess if you haven't, I guess if you haven't flaunted, you know, I mean, he did wear the costume, but that's a big reach. (laughs) Big, big. And so basically he called out all of Marvel and all of Disney and used this super aggro language of like, watch out because the Fed isn't going to stand for this. All kinds. It's just cringy. (laughs) It's so fucking cringy. You are a grown ass man. And aside from a grown ass man, uh, the child who played Boba Fett during Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, he also came out and said that it was the wrong move to disavow the original name of this starship. People are tripping, man. But here, here are some additionally stupid takes. So uh, Mark Austin's argument about renaming Slave One was that 
slave one is not slave. That if you walk up to a person on the street and you say, what's a slave? They'll tell you what a slave is. And if you walk up to an average person on the street, you ask them, what's a slave one? And he says, they will look at you confused. But a Star Wars fan will say, oh, that's Boba Fett's ship. So slave and slave one are completely different. That's his argument. His argument, his other argument is that if you start renaming all sorts of things that reference slavery while we still have slavery in the world, you're being hypocritical about educating people on slavery. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. You tell me, Arthur, as a black man, would you say that renaming Boba Fett's space shuttle is hurting, you know, uh, critical race theory? I don't care. (laughs) Why are we talking about this? (laughs) <laughs> this is like to, to see all these grown people oh. like trying trying to get together and, <laughs> and 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 I guess hold a, a candlelight vigil, you know, about why they should keep this name. And it's just like, look, we you know what the thing is called? Like they just decided not to put that on the toy box. Like, can you guys find something else to do, please? You know. Jesus Christ. So I just figured that was absurd. I know we're going to move on quick, but we will take a moment to bathe in the tears of (laughs) weeping man children. You are grown fucking adults. Anybody old enough to have an opinion on the name of Boba Fett's starship being canonical versus printed on a Lego box is also old enough to go get professional help. And so Arthur and I (laughs) encourage you to do so if you have very strong feelings. Yeah, man. (laughs) <laughs> these these tears have too much salt in them. Is well, it is easy to float. Oh my god! Oh, oh, watch them flow, baby. Watch them flow. It's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's. Uh, oh, I did want to. I did want to bring up um, the Long Halloween. It's one of my favorite Batman books. Oh yeah, it's getting a it's getting a cartoon, right? Yeah, the yeah the first part just came out. They did it really uh, wise and split it into two parts. Just as I, every fan knows, even Marvel even Marvel fans know that DC has kicked butt in animation. Oh, for they the win! Last 30, they win on the years. animation front. Thirty years, thirty years straight up, like that. You can't touch them. <laughs> Not with <laughs> you know? a ten foot pole. And and it's so great. Of uh, like now, I mean, of course, all these people grew up with all the stuff. Now they're making more mature stuff. They're trying to be more like anime and. Mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. more hardcore. You know, we we already talked about the Harley Quinn series, how like the su- super crass and hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, so good. Yeah, so yeah, like the this project looks great. Uh, I haven't watched it yet. I'm I'm a big fan of the book. I read that book over and over again. Oh, I'm gonna catch that this weekend. I didn't know it had come out yet. I was I was keeping an eye yeah, on it. Yeah, the first one came out, the second one comes out in July. Nice. I think on the twenty second or something like that. So I just wanted to bring that up. Uh that I just saw that in the news over the over the past week. So I'm happy about that. Love me some cartoons. And speaking of cartoons, oh yeah, we're going to talk real quick about Rick and Morty season five, episodes one and two. Arthur, you haven't seen them because mm-hmm. you don't really keep up with the Rick and the Morty. Well, I mean, basically, uh, I'm trying to change that. You know, like especially, especially since you told me that some of the things that irked me it gets kind of like you know loosened and massaged out. They get ironed out. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm going back to the series from square one. I already watched the first episode and had a good time. You know. Knowing, knowing that he's not going to just be burping and vomiting all the time. And some, some of it was funny. Yeah, it was excessive the first season. The first season yeah. was too much. <laughs> it really is. When you go yeah. back and watch it, it's so bad. But the yeah. great thing about those early seasons is that the episodes are amazingly well written. 
The A plot's excellent and the B plot is excellent. Every single episode, both plots just rock. And I think that with season five, we're finally getting back to that place where I like both the A plot and the B plot. The very first Mm -hmm. episode of season five is amazing because without spoiling it too much, essentially uh, Rick offends a Namor knockoff named Mr. Nimbus uh, by touching the ocean. Apparently they are longtime rivals. And when Rick's ship accidentally crash lands in the ocean, Mr. Nimbus demands tribute. And so basically (laughs) Rick has to sit and have dinner with him for one night and entertain him for one evening. And in exchange for that, Mr. Nimbus will forgive Rick's transgression. So part of that is that Mr. Nimbus likes to drink. And so Rick comes up with a plan to take a bunch of cheap wine, put it in a temporal anomaly, and it will come out very old wine, which will then be good. Mm -hmm. And so you get this whole B plot about an accidental time caper that happens where Morty goes into this temporal anomaly to get the wine accidentally brings somebody back with him and it destroys their civilization. So mm-hmm. in season four, they did something that feels very similar to this with the ever progressing, you know, civilization and timeline with one where snakes evolve and then travel through time to try and take out Rick and Morty. And that didn't work at all. This works great. This works great. <laughs> Both stories are funny. Mr. Nimbus is funny. They uh, explore some weird sexual stuff with Beth and Jerry. Mm. And so, because they're trying to get their marriage back on track. So one of the things they look to do is to be a little more sexually adventurous and see if they could spice up their oh, marriage. Okay. So they basically try to swing a three-way with Mr. Nimbus, which is pretty hysterical. So that shit was great. And then the season, uh, season five, episode two is... It's a it's a clone paradox. The entire episode is clones of the Smith family killing clones of the Smith family over and over and over and over again. Or not really clones, but more robots. But sometimes they're clones. It you got to watch the episode for it to make sense. But mm-hmm. this episode scared the shit out of me because the thing I hate about season four is that you take one good idea. And then you build an an entire 30 minute episode off just running that gag a hundred times over. And in many instances in season four, it simply does not fucking work in this one. It's clever and it actually works. And this is from somebody who hates that shit. I hate Mm. it. But in this episode, just Beth's and Jerry's and Summer's and Rick's and Morty's killing each other a hundred times over in what they call an Asimov cascade. So basically, Isaac Asimov wrote the book I, Robot and came up with what he said would be the three rules of artificial Mm -hmm. intelligence if you were going to have artificial Mm -hmm. intelligence. So in the episode, Rick decides to make a decoy family of android slash biological clones so that if someone wants to kill him, they get killed first and then he gets alerted. But then the decoy family makes a decoy family and they make a decoy family and it's decoys all the way down. So it's so this is this is the dense stuff that I was talking about. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's a lot. Uh, no, it's good. Uh, it's I'm, good. I'm, 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 I'm game. I'm game. I'm game. For I'm it, giving you know? the 50 cent version. But if you watch it, you'll get it. And if you watch it, you'll get it. It's fun. It's totally fun. So oh, yeah. I say oh, yeah. keep watching Rick and Morty so that you can catch up with me because, you know, you're like my hetero life mate. And so much like where I don't like to get ahead on my shows with Rachel. I don't like to get ahead on shows with you. And so you got to catch up, baby. You got to catch up and watch some Ricks and yeah, some I'm Morty. Yeah, catch up. I'm going to do it. 
Uh, one last thing I want to say. I want to do a shout out for Tyler, the creator. Uh, he did a performance on the BET Awards that was just fantastic. So if you guys look up, uh, I think it's called Lumberjack. Um, so uh, look up that live performance on BET. It's just like fantastic. I totally forgot to ask you about the BET Awards because I, I was watching some clips from it. And I remember you always talk about how like the BET Awards is the best awards. It's like your favorite award show. It is. just like there's no argument. <laughs> it's just straight up. What'd you think of Little Nas X? Oh, I didn't see his performance. I didn't watch the whole thing. It's it's hard to catch the whole thing, but I was looking at a bunch of uh, just random performances from the show. Well, that was another one that conservatives were crying tons of tears over because he kissed a male uh, backup dancer on stage. To shut up. Like Madonna could do whatever she wants, but oh, oh yeah, he can't go down a stripper pole down to hell. You know, <laughs> yeah. I think that's one of the most creative ideas I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sliding a stripper pole down to hell and giving the devil a lap dance. Like if Madonna, if Madonna did it, no one would say anything. It would have been genius, genius. When people of color do it, it's like, oh my god, so slutty, disrespectful. When Madonna does it, or Britney, oh how provocative, how brave. You know, <laughs> that's, that's what happens every time. That is true. You can't win, man. You it has, can't it's win. ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You know, so I'm I'm proud of Little Nas X. I didn't see his performance on BET though. Yeah, he apparently at the end. Well, I, I watched it at the end of the performance. He he goes pretty hard on a backup dancer, and he basically said, "If y'all gonna cry when I kiss another man on stage, next time I'm just gonna fuck him." <laughs> That's good. You should. You're like, if you're gonna cry anyway, <laughs> next time I'm just gonna fuck him. So you better ease up. Use oh. your tears for lube, motherfucker. He is so <laughs> perfect for this moment in history. Oh, he man, is I love exactly the right man to do what he is doing with his moment and with the spotlight. He's perfect. No apologies. He never makes the wrong yeah. move. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. Perfect. As we as it. we wish you know a fond farewell to the end of Pride Month, little shout out to little Nas X for just killing it every day. Mm-hmm. Love it, love it. So yeah, if we want to talk some more about how society is terrible, we each caught a few more episodes of Sweet Tooth, huh? Sweet Tooth. Uh, it's it's turning out to be such a great show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so good. Uh, I do have my issues with it though, but like I, it's it's still just amazing. The characters are great. Speak your truth, you know, baby. What I do like you got how, on it? I like, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll speak my tooth. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. You know, like, the kids are so cute. You know, <laughs> again, I would have preferred if this show was a little more grimy. It didn't have to be, like, in your face, like, Walking Dead stuff. But it, it should have been a little bit more. Uh, Arthur, 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 Arthur. Number one, I got one word for you, baby. Merchandising. <laughs> yeah but you you can merchandise dark stuff i just would appreciate a little bit of tim burton-esque quality to it you know nope nope if anybody hurts bobby i fucking riot if anybody hurts bobby i'm gonna riot so bobby guys if you haven't seen the show and we're going into full spoiler mode, yeah yeah um this show is is all about little hybrid animal people and the, the whole thing about the show is that um sweet tooth the main character gus you know, first of all, little blonde-haired white boy, you know, like like <laughs> the, the cutest thing, cutest thing ever. Fucking mop it. He's made to look so cute 
you could scarcely find a way to like want to actually hurt something like that. Yet they have these characters kind of uncharacteristically want to hurt these very cute looking things. So when you look at Gus, it doesn't seem like he's had the worst of it. He has his antlers and his cute little deer ears versus mm-hmm. like this little black girl who has a pig face, <laughs> you know, and uh, who, who, uh. who for, you know, who looks cute too. She looks cute. She looks cute. You know it's not, I understand the implication, but, but it's... seeing a pig face, I'm sure you'd be wanting to kill that easier than like a little blonde white boy that has deer antlers and stuff. So then they 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 push it up even more with this little Bobby who looks like he just came right out of Bambi. Oh my gosh. He is he is <laughs> so baby Yoda. He is such a freaking action figure doll toy waiting to happen. I love him. He's adorable. But I don't know. Baby Yoda Baby Yoda, like you put Baby Yoda and sack him up against the Bobby. Bobby looks like a cartoon character. Baby Yoda looks like he could exist. Yes. The you effects know? for Bobby read very CG. It doesn't, it feels a little much. disconnected. <laughs> it's a bit much. It feels, but yeah. he's so fucking adorable. Like I said before, if anything happens of to Bobby, he's I'm, adorable, a, I'm a riot. But it's just like in this, in, in this world, they would kill that thing. What like it doesn't make sense? <laughs> no, see, this is where you and I disagree on the show. Is that I think that when faced with annihilation, people will do whatever. If you told me that I could cure every case of cancer in the world, all I had to do was smash Bobby's little head in with a rock, I would smash his little head in so fast. <laughs> because that's survival that's a numbers game especially especially if you told me bobby was giving everyone in the world cancer i don't believe you tommy i don't believe you to save everybody everybody to save because that's the stakes that's what they believe the stakes are yes all of these guys are adorable because in the comic bobby is not a good looking dude um, he is, he is pretty ratchet looking in the comic. So I, I get it. And he's as tall as Gus in the comic here. He's like a foot tall and fucking adorable. And, but, yeah. but if you told me I could cure every case of cancer in the world, all I had to do was smash Bobby's head in with a rock. I'd be like, yo, go get me a rock, son. We're going to do this. I'm sorry. I mean, this this kind of, this, this kind of, this kind of makes me, I, I feel like that's the blind spot of the show because you know, in the, in the real world, we think about we deal with these consequences all the time. Like, in there's that there's that show called What Would You Do, and there's a famous episode where there there's a black kid that has a hoodie on who's stealing a bike, and they have a white kid oh, wearing I've the same that. thing yep. that the black kid oh. is the stealing the bike, and they they respond to both of those di- th- those things different. I saw that. You know? I saw that. In some case, the bystanders help the white kid cut the lock. Yeah. Oh, it's my bike. I I lost the any and they make the kid be really, really unconvincing. Like, so you lost the kid? Exactly. Yeah, I guess. I guess I lost the kid. Yeah. So this is your bike. And by the time they get the lock cut, he's like, Well, it is mine now, and rides off, and they just stand there looking bewildered. Exactly. But when they have the black kid just fiddling with the lock, it's like, What are you doing? I know. So that's that's what I'm saying. Like in this show. I would appreciate it if some of the if some of the characters weren't that cute, but they were just people. It's like I mean, the, the you piling on the cuteness doesn't really uh, speak to the ambiguity of it. Well, we haven't gotten because it's like it's it's so too- many yet. You know, we've only gotten a few. They're gonna give us more. But but that's that's the thing. They shouldn't be super cute in the first place. 
you know, maybe some of them, but like you, you see in the show that they're like making them super cute, especially when we get to Bobby, man. So, um, <laughs> other, 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 not wanting to, not wanting to belabor on that because I want to talk about Loki. Um, uh, the other thing is, I just love how organic the relationship is between Gus and uh, what's the big gentleman's name? The character Tommy Jeopard. Tommy Jeopard, otherwise known as the Big Man. Yeah. Oh, they never say his name. Okay. They almost never call him that. He always calls him Big Man, just the same way as Big Man never yeah. calls him Gus. He always calls him Sweet Tooth. So they have nicknames. It's yeah, part of their yeah. Camaraderie. Okay. So, like, I mean, I just really love their situation, and it turned t- turn out really good. And the story's progressing nicely. They wind up getting saved after they got into a whole fiasco with the, you know, trying to take mm-hmm, them to the train. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel for both characters' situations because it's just like, like I mean, who he doesn't know this kid, and this kid's most likely to get him killed. You know, what's he supposed to do? Just drop everything for him? But then, but then he he messes up the kid's uh, train ride. Well, the funny thing about the train ride is it's not in the comic, so none of that's from the comic. But the other thing about it is like. I think the train ride is just the most absurd part of the whole thing. Number one, you cut his horns off. If you're really, mm-hmm. if he gets found with horns, he's dead. Done deal. Somebody's going to drag him off, experiment on He's fucking dead. So you cut his horns off and you put a hunter's cap on him. And that takes care of the ears mm-hmm. and that takes care of the horns. Like I know that you don't want to hack his horns off, but it's not going to hurt him. It doesn't hurt him at all. Just go full Hellboy and just grind those suckers off. Mm-hmm. And put his head under a freaking cap. Like it's kind of interesting to show Mm -hmm. that there are kids and they do dress up like animal kids, which is kind of fucking weird. Mm -hmm. But that whole portion of the story didn't really logically work for me, but it set up some fun stuff. And now we're going to see them, you know, essentially at some point they catch a different train and head because they got to get to Colorado somehow. They're pushing the story that way. What's interesting to me is that I am seeing the story start to reconverge with the comic book in that we got to get all of these people in the same place. We got to get Dr. Singh, Big Man, Sweet mm-hmm. Tooth, all of the animal kids and General Abbott. They've all got to hit one spot. And I, I'm up to episode, I finished episode six now. And not to spoil it for you, because I think you're one behind me. They're all on their way to a reckoning, which I think we could all tell, because yeah. how else do you resolve this shit? But yes, there is a yeah. reckoning coming for these characters, and uh, I'll be excited to wrap it up. I think the the scene where you you basically meet this group of kids who who, you, who are all orphaned, which makes sense because like, a lot of people died, mm-hmm. you know, and and of course, like you know, they they had. There's all these uh, uh, like allusions to what's happening with the people of uh, the youth youth culture of today, in like in our reality, where everything being left for them is just like a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, the scraps, a burnt world. Oh yeah, all these decisions made by these these handful of rich people who will never see the they'll never live to see the results of their actions. And so they don't care. They know they won't live to see the results of their actions and they don't care. The party doesn't stop. Yeah. I mean, being rich, the least of your, their worries are little people. You're in such a bubble. Yep. Yep. You don't believe that there are situations that you can't buy yourself out of. You always believe that you can, Buy your way out of, oh, any apocalypse. Oh, heat waves coming? That's cool. I have air conditioning. I own an air conditioning company. Oh, look, look, look at the head of the NRA. When, when freaking COVID hit, a donor lent him a yacht for a month. 
Like, oh shit, everybody's mm-hmm. getting this disease. I'll just go out on this yacht and hang out at sea until this shit resolves itself. Like, same mm-hmm. shit as we said last time. The exact same thing we said last time is that when the apocalypse comes, there will be luxury lifeboats and you won't have a mm-hmm. ticket. Mm-hmm. I won't have a ticket either. Somebody will have a ticket, but it won't be us. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so all in all, it's great. Um, there's that really cool scene where uh, we see that Gus can talk to other animals. Yeah, where he has a communication, a bond with them. They want to execute Big Man, the the, the group of uh, animal kids. Yep. Because um, he has he has a marking on him that says that he's one of the, what is the, the young? The Newman? last man the, army. The last man army who they poach. They poach. They're uh, the ones who the hunt hybrids. the animal kids, the hybrids. Yep. Yeah. And so he was one and, of uh, them. Of course. And of course, like I mean, I didn't. It, it was weird. It's just like, you know, if the if they're attacking him, and Gus at the same time, then wouldn't it stand a reason that he's not one of them? <laughs> like, he bears the mark, and they their their argument is is that while he may have reformed, he must pay for the sins that he's already committed, and that's their argument. Oh well, great. Gus likes him, and he's helping Gus. That doesn't absolve him of his crimes. Yeah, I don't know. That's, I think that's pretty weird when he's protecting that boy. Well, I mean, know? that's that's how the American justice system would deal with him. You know what I mean? It's it's. Yeah. I get it. When somebody, when an aggrieved party demands restitution, then they're going to see it through. And if, if, if they feel like they can but extract that from him, they're going to do it. <laughs> but they're not the aggrieved party. That's, I know, that's kind I know. That's the but- thing with them, too. Well, like like they're 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 playing at wanting to be animal kids. It's like they want they want they want to be hybrid kids so bad. Yeah, they do. Yeah, you know? they do. But they've made <laughs> themselves the aggrieved party, and so they are the ones who yeah. are there to met out justice, which of course creates a power struggle between the leader who doesn't want to kill him and the leader who does. And ultimately, Gus is able to communicate with the tiger. And now I've read the comic. So I understand a little bit better, I think, what what makes why Gus can do that. I know why Gus can do that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we got a real big hint to why Gus can do that when he stood down the intruders at his cabin in one of the earlier episodes. And you see that giant buck behind him. Yeah. 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 And so like Gus has a very special spiritual connection to his animal half. And I think they're going to explore that and explain that in, in, in the future. I doubt we'll get it this season, but yeah, it looks I'm, awesome. I'm having a good time with the series. Um, and I, I'm glad, I'm glad that the, the, the exited leader of the group joined the crew. Cause like, that's, that's just some good conflict. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you know? it is. And they're filling in for some characters that were in the comic that aren't going to be in the TV show. And they're sort of playing some roles that are going to be important later. One thing I want to ask, yeah, it's yeah. like, so we don't, we barely ever talk about the other characters, but they were, they were having the dinner party that, um, that Indian couple was at that dinner party where that man, Dr. Singh and his wife. Yep. Yeah. They, he, that, the, the man, the, the guy that was throwing the dinner party, got found out that he was um, infected. Did they burn him alive in the house? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. They absolutely did burn him alive in his house because he had the infection. And when you see every time, this is really cool. Every time you take the shot of either Dr. Singh riding his horse in or out of the compound, you see more and more burned down houses. So whenever the infection is discovered, the infected party is put in their house, their house is boarded and it's set on fire. 
and they all sing to cover the sounds of their screams. Because I couldn't even hear the screams. Yeah, because they're all singing Auld Lang Syne at the top of their voices. What the fuck? Like, Happy New Year, we set your house on fire. It was really... I, I feel like it was... Because I, I didn't see the fear could communicated enough from that man that he was about to be burned alive. To me, it seemed like they were holding him so they somebody could retrieve him, and then they burned the house down. Well, he was bargaining, you know? like, no, no, wait, it, it's okay. It's a, and they're just, they're not even, they're just in full-on mitigation mode. They don't even hear him anymore. It just, I, don't, I just don't know if that was directed well. I, just, I don't know if it was directed well, you know? I just, I, I, I didn't see it communicated that he was about to be burned alive, you know? So, like, I, that's what I was confused about. Well, um, I think that you know what it is though, and I actually I actually get it. It makes perfect sense. Number 1, guns are hard to come by. So if you could just shoot him and then burn his house down, that would be the humane thing to do, but but guns are hard to come by. So the alternative is is that but you why would have to be so cruel, like knock him out or something. Because first, th this is a commentary on the cruelty of humanity. Again, they want to kill adorable little moppets and drink their brain fluids. You know what I mean? Society is cruel. All of this is reinforcing yeah. the cruelty. Just like I said in the one episode, your neighbors will kill and eat you rather than go hungry for two days. And so nobody wants to kill another person. And if I may quote Rick and Morty, I don't know if you've seen this episode, but like, if you have to put your hands on him, it's going to feel like a real murder, <laughs> you know? And I think without a distance weapons, no average suburbanite is going to want to slice someone's throat. No suburbanite is mm -hmm. going to want to choke someone out physically. They tie him to a chair, they pour accelerant around and they get the fuck out of the house and they light the house on fire. So it's not like anyone killed him. They all killed him. And so there's a diffusal of guilt and there's a diffusal of responsibility in that action that I totally get. Mm -hmm. Speaking about slicing somebody's throat, you know, somebody's uh, Time Lord's throat got sliced pretty good in Loki. <laughs> oh, chop their heads off. Spoilers, spoilers, and double spoilers. We were a hundred percent right. These timekeepers are bullshit. You know don't, the funny thing don't is don't bury the lead, Tommy. <laughs> always burying the lead. Ah, uh, it was kind of the yeah, that's the end of the episode. All right, so we'll start at the beginning. We start at the beginning. So impending doom, they're gonna die on on this planet. Or sorry, on this moon. Which we all knew that wasn't gonna happen. You know, the, this was this was a time for us to really spend a good amount of time with Sylph, uh, Sylvie and Sylphie and, and Loki. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing is Loki falling in love with Loki and thus <laughs> causing a raging boner that's just about to destroy the ancient timeline. <laughs> Did you see how, how high that line was? You use that euphemism a lot, and I, I sometimes push against it, but yeah, if you look at the timeline, it's straight off it. So yeah, I'll accept it this time. But yes, they get a, a, a veritable erection of an alternate timeline. And really what we've seen is we're seeing to keep the boner analogy, the power of love. <laughs> <laughs> it's the power of love. <laughs> Can you feel it? Uh, yeah, uh, it's it, it's uh, it's apropos that Loki would fall in love with Loki. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what's so great about like actually getting to spend time 
with this character because otherwise, you know, from what we've seen with Loki throughout the movies is he had his huge villain arc. And then then what we would see of him, he would be kind of like a joke. And yeah, I mean, yeah. and it was a fun joke. It was it was always fun to see him. He would I actually make things better when he showed up. But he just kind of became a joke over and over again. Sure, sure. So so it's just cool to spend this time with him and um, really see what makes him tick and how smart he is, how he works, how he concocts, and um, then to see what he actually thinks about, you know, you know, we get to see his sexuality and what he actually does think about love, what a villain yeah. thinks about love. And, um, you know, being able to, I mean, they've, they've been breaking him down throughout this whole series. And um, he's also had to kind of like question himself you know, like through kind of through like this existential dread and stuff. Yeah, well, they have to turn him from this raging narcissist who was just about to destroy New York City into the Loki that we kind of know and love in Ragnarok, where he finally starts to have those heartfelt moments with Thor, and we start to see him as potentially a hero. And so now we're we're definitely going to get to the point of where we see Loki as a hero. And and one of the big differences is that in this episode we see a Loki that cares about things he mm -hmm. gives a damn about loss and he cares about somebody other than himself and we'll get more into it a little bit later on as we get deeper into the episode but the the expression that tom hiddleston brings through in this episode shows very very clearly that he finally deeply cares about a few people that are not himself obviously the the big thing of this is that he seems to be in love with himself and i don't know if i'm necessarily going to immediately ascribe it to romantic love as much as loki finally feels a kinship and a companionship yes it's love but it's also the lack of loneliness there is this person whom he can relate to which in no small part because it is himself but that who also cures that sort of emptiness, that loneliness of no one will ever understand what it's like to be me, which is the clinical narcissist's opinion. But of course, he understands what it's like to be him or she understands what it's like to be him. But he's also developed a really tangible relationship with Mobius in this as well. You yes. know, they have a good mutual respect and Mobius just keeps pouring this this goodwill and this you can be a hero if you just choose to opinion into Loki and Loki's really responded to that. It's, it's really interesting about Mobius because um, it just seems like Loki's has been the only person he could, he could actually really talk to. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's like for probably years and, and, and then, then, then you really feel it when he gets hurt by Loki. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like he just he's she's trying he he's smart he's smart and it's not like he's a hundred percent perfect and he has he has a tad bit of naivete like that's mixed mixed in with like you know a very sharp dude you know so it's like this pull pull and push and pull of emotions when it comes down to like do I trust Loki how much do I trust Loki I mean he gave Loki his daggers back you yeah. know <laughs> you yeah. know. He tried to anyway, 
even though Loki's given him no reason to over and over again, he shows him implicit trust. And in the beginning, it's because he regards him as harmless. Like, of course I trust you. What are you going to do? You, we have you by the ball. You're just a kitty cat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Calls him an ice runt. You yeah. know, like you're, I've taken down Loki's a hundred times more powerful than you. You're just mm -hmm. the one I've chosen to work with here. But then as it goes on that, the leeway that he gives him is derived from a fondness for him and a legitimate trust, not just a position of power. And Loki then at now, finally in this, this episode, we see him bearing the weight of that trust and not wanting to, to break it. Yeah. Uh, I had to push back with Sylvie though, because I think, I feel like throughout that whole episode, you see the, the, the growing sprig of like romantic tension yeah. between them. I, I really love the moment when he switches into that blue suit because he's like kind of flirting with her in that moment. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, look at my razzmatazz. He starts her ear, uh. then he's on, on her other side of her shoulder. You know, then then when Sophie wakes up from that dream, or what, she, she just wakes up on the train and you got Loki there, you know, singing. And, you know, he's basically mm -hmm. singing to her, you know, uh, in, as guardian. Yeah, well, I mean, they say it best. Love is mischief. Mischief is love. So why shouldn't Loki be? I just feel like it's it's more romantic. I feel like, you know, they're having a moment like they're about to kiss. Like, you know, and, and I'm not yeah, going to yeah, bury yeah. the lead, but you see more of that when they see each other at the end. But so 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 they're captured by Renslayer and captured Brought back by, to the TBA. Yeah, and they're captured by uh, Mobius, and Mobius, of course, is pissed, you know. Mm -hmm. And what what we have with um, Agent A23, is her name? What is it? Uh, B15. Well, A20 is the one that got brainwashed and um, who Mobius goes looking for as soon as they get back to the TVA. Like, hey, I want to interview everybody involved. And then Renslayer is like, no, sorry, A20 died. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what? She was fine, like a little disoriented, but she was fine. And then Renslayer says, no, uh, Sylvie scrambled her mind and it couldn't hold and she died. And that, of course, sounds like an absolute bullshit um, answer. And one of the things that's interesting to me, and I don't have her name in my notes and I should, but the actress who plays Ravona Renslayer. Well, that's Gugu Mbatha-Ra. Mbatha-Ra, that's right. Um you know, at first I thought that maybe her acting was a little weak in this episode, but then I think that maybe she's supposed to be transparently lying. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, they 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 threw off, they threw us off of her right from the beginning. Because remember, I made comments about how I thought she was just like really weak. Yeah, yeah. But I think maybe that's her acting like her character has something to hide. I think they just purposely made her like glib like in the beginning, so to throw us off the scent. Yeah, it could be. You know, because like they leaned so heavily on the overwhelming shadow of the Time Lords, you know, be there. Like that 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 big statue is always there. Right, We're always right. focused on that. You know, it's a total Wizard of Oz thing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that, that being said, Rinslayer is in the comic books tied to Kang. Yeah, she's, you know, Kang's other respective significant other but and it's complicated <laughs> no um i was trying to say something about uh b12 or b, b what is it 
Well, B-15 is the one that's still in action. Yes, you see that B-15 is is conflicted. Uh, I mean, she, mm-hmm. And she's been co- conflicted ever since uh, Sophie touched her, you know? Yep. And, and we know that you know, when Sophie touched these, uh, these, uh, these officers, that they come in contact with their actual memories. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so we have her in conflict, and now we have uh, Mobius taking Loki to his uh, loop prison. <laughs> yeah, the loop prison, which, of course, like every bad guy in the Marvel Universe is going to be subjected to a time loop at some point. Mm-hmm. Dormammu, Thanos, Loki. Yep, time loops are yep. very effective. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we get to see uh, Sylph again. That's right. Lady Sif, Jamie Alexander, returns. Last seen in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. And prior to that, Thor 2. Right. I think at one point uh, she was going to leave Marvel and try to be Wonder Woman or something. Yeah, she had also, she missed out on Ragnarok because she had a conflict with another movie, the title of which I don't remember at the moment. But mm-hmm. she originally was going to come back for Ragnarok and then just had a conflict, which essentially saved her life in the universe for that matter. I uh, know they were going to kill her. <laughs> Ragnarok is a 99 out of 100 movie. But if I have to complain about something, they did the Warriors three so dirty in Ragnarok. Yeah. Yeah. They get killed so quickly and easily. I, I didn't like how I thought the Warriors three deserved a little bit more of a send off, but that's OK. You know, look, no, no movie is perfect. But yeah, she's back and she's living it up as Lady Sif again, torturing Loki in one of his worst memories. Yeah, uh, that's really funny. It's just really cool because like Loki, con- <laughs> he's constantly being put in these situations where he has to deal with what his bad behavior has wrought. Sure, you know, and and he and and this it's just a quick way of him getting a, a you know, a, re- a redemption arc, <laughs> and it's super telling that one of his worst memories, because for him it was a harmless prank. He cut her hair off while she was sleeping, but the result of that is that she tells him, "Yeah, well, you're gonna be alone forever," and so mm-hmm. it's his worst fear wrapped up in a relatively inane memory. Interesting fact about this is that. Loki it's a cutting, real myth. It's a real Norse myth. That you, mm-hmm. you want to do it then? <laughs> no, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm teasing you. I'm teasing. You. It's a it's a very real Norse myth. Loki cutting off Lady Sis' hair, but it's also been done in the Marvel comics on like three or four occasions. They come back to this particular trope, so it's fun to see it rendered uh, writ large on the screen. Oh heck yeah! So I think this is when we are actually go back into the past. Into uh, uh, Sylphie when she was younger, and mm-hmm. we get to see Renslayer as a, co- a common officer. Mm-hmm. I saw some background information about the number that Renslayer had. It was actually one of the issues where she showed up in the Thor comics. Yes, yes, it's like yes. a lot of the numbers that you see all over the place all mean they stuff. love like to hide all, the comic number references. Yep. Yeah, they're all sin sin ups and stuff. Um, but we we get to see a young Loki, who um, and it's interesting too because the what what I've seen on um, new rock stars like they did a deep dive on a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know how we're accustomed to seeing Asgard. It's that beautiful, uh, full frontal shot of the place. 
Okay. So when we see the opening of this Asgard, we're seeing it from a different perspective. We're seeing it from behind the castle. Oh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I guess that it, they yeah. did fly in from the other side of the castle. Yeah. And so that is, they're, they're constantly doing really cool little touches. So we have little Loki just playing with the toys. What possible event could she have been causing? What possible thing could she have been doing? She was just ripped away yep. uh, from her from the situation and just completely put in the situation. But it's, it's so cool that she was so resourceful as just a, as a little t- uh, godling mm-hmm. and, and thus put her on a path of where she'd been on the run for hundreds of years. Yeah, <laughs> hiding, jumping from apocalypse to apocalypse to apocalypse. Because ever since she was a child, surviving by her wits alone, I mean, she's... She's newt on the alien ship. You know, there's no oh, yeah. reason that this child should be able to withstand this army. And yet she evades them for literal hundreds, if not thousands of years. Yeah. So going going past that, now that we know more about that whole situation and more about Renslayer's uh, dirty ass, mm-hmm. uh, we, 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 <laughs> we now are starting to understand that Mobius is, you know, he's starting to figure something is up to. Yep, he puts it together. Yeah, after Loki had let him know that, you know, the TVA was lying to him. Yep. You know, so we have that scene, that exchange between him and Renslayer, and Renslayer is just like total cult, total drink the Kool-Aid, you know. Oh, she's 100% in. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't know how much of that she believes. I, I think she knows that those things are robots. See, here's the thing. I think she knows that the... That what are presented as the timekeepers are not real. Although here's the interesting thing. Cause I was talking to Rachel about this. If she had come back and said to Mobius, I've talked to the timekeepers and they're pissed off, but we can wrap this up. No problem. Then we could say maybe she does or doesn't know, but she goes into that room and we watch her from outside of the moment as a, as an observer her going through the actions of communicating with them in that room, talking to what we learn later are robots. I think Mm -hmm. that she knows that there is somebody else behind the robots, but it seems interesting that she engages, if it is theater, she engages in what would be theater for nobody else's benefit. So I'm not sure that she knows for certain that those are just robots. I think that she she does, because in the books, she's in love with Kang. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> I think she knows. I mean, because she's been doing this for years. You know, there, there's a reason why she would keep other people from seeing them because yeah. you know they're 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 just these props that are on these on these thrones. Like you know, like anybody that's smart, she, she the last person she would want in there is Mobius because right, Mobius would see would through that immediately. immediately. Was up. So I mean, but but she that is the way she's getting her orders though. That's true. Through, so, yeah, she knows robots. they're not real, but those robots are functionally the telephone yeah. on which she talks to the higher order. Oh, yeah. I think Renslayer is going to continue after this because this is this is going to be the way for her to like have her relationship with Kang. And, you know, it's funny. More and more we watch, the more and more I do honestly believe it's Kang. But I just... Feels so obvious, man. Like, it feels like it would be obvious to make it Kang. And I don't know that they would 
be that obvious. Like it was like in WandaVision where I was like, it's gotta be Mephisto. It's gotta be Mephisto. Everything's Mephisto. I feel like we're Mephistoing the shit out of Kang with this show. And if he doesn't show up, that's just the kind of shit Marvel would do to fuck with you. But, but Tom, think about the implications. Think, oh yeah. This, the implications of this is insane. But that's why I feel like it's a red herring. Somebody has been in power of the whole timeline and being able to control it and basically send send out their time hitmen to just snuff out any sort of timeline that they want for hundreds and hundreds of years. What if it's a Loki? What if it's a Loki, man? Like, I feel like that's something that this show would do to fuck with you would be to make it a Loki. I don't know. That's why I'm excited. It's over soon. We're going to get our, we're going to get our answers. We're going to get them. But I just, I feel like I, I just, it's so, they're so tricky with these things. And I feel like everything's pointing to Kang. And like, that's my biggest evidence that it's not Kang is that everything points to it being Kang. I mean, I, I mean, I'll give you this. Your, your theory would work really well with um the theme of this story because like it there, for some reason loki's important and all you're trying to snuff out all the other loki's so so i don't know i'm excited to find out in that way i could see that making sense but i mean this being a time thing you know and hundreds of years and all that stuff it just it just seems like it's kang I, I think it's Kang, and that's why I don't think it's Kang. I realize that's a stupid argument. <laughs> and I love Kang. You know, you want to hear something funny? For years, my fantasy baseball team was called Kang the Conqueror because uh, Pittsburgh's got a player <laughs> named Jung Ho Kang. And so forever, my baseball team was called Kang the Conqueror. So I love Kang. I want it to be Kang. But that's why I feel like, oh, it's too easy. We're, they're they're going to throw, throw the curveball in, in the final episode and blow your head up. I don't know. I'm excited to find out. Speaking of blowing some heads up, this thing is devastating. Oh, yeah. So we got, we got the whole, we have the whole head blown up thing as we, we wind up um, as uh B, I B-15. Was B-25. I know their numbers. It's tough to keep track of them. Yeah, B, yeah, yeah. B, B-15 says, enough of this shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and decides to help out Sylphie. Uh, Sylphie's there. Uh, we already have Mobius going in there doing, doing a little espionage with Renslayer. And uh, that scene when, oh my God, when he finally trusts Loki... Yep. And they're like they're gonna figure this thing out, and you know Renslayer isn't having it. Uh, oh. I hated that scene to see, you know, Mobius trying to smart. His he just way swipes out of her it. temp he pad. Just, he just yeah. is like fuck all of this, you know. He says fuck all of this, and then we have to see him go. I I don't think he's gone. Honestly, we really don't know what happens when these things get itemized. I think I think they just yeah. Get I mean, there's a fifty fifty chance that. See, because I, I just wonder if Lokis are different because when he says, am I in hell? I think he means hell with one L, you know, rather than hell with two L's. Yes. That's what it, that's what it said on oh, the did captions. It? Oh, see, I got to watch what the captions are. Yeah. There's so much, there's so much. That's what it said on the captions. There. So yeah. So he thinks he's in hell, but if these other characters don't have hell. Don't bury the lead. We didn't talk about the well, fight. We're already in spoilers territory. <laughs> People know where we're going, but we're talking about whether Mobius comes back. 
But we have to we have to talk about what the Time Lords said and what they did. All right, all right, all right. I'm not gonna barely go on. I'm sorry. Sorry. So yes. So Mobius <laughs> has been disintegrated, and he probably went put your somewhere. shovel away, good sir. Put your shovel away, good sir. <laughs> so yes, they have they have they go and they're brought before the timekeepers. Mobius is presumably disintegrated. The look on Loki's face when they kill Mobius, it's like. Oh yeah, he's he's at, he's almost That's as tears. much as we've maybe seen him care about anybody in the history of the Marvel universe is his reaction to Mobius's presumed death. Mhm. It was an amazing bit of acting by Hiddleston in that moment. And so now they're going to oh, yeah. drag them before the Time Lords, which all of this makes no sense if you pick it apart abstractly. Like why would you need to kill them in front of the Time Lords? If you're just going to kill them, you just kill them. And the whole idea of convicting and capturing the time criminals when you're just going to dissolve their reality anyway. Like, couldn't you just use the the thing, hop into their deviant timeline, drop the charge and leave, and they'll be destroyed with it like everything and everybody else in that universe. But they have this process of kidnapping these people and bringing them back and having some kind of kangaroo court. So that illusion carries into this scene where now they're going to have the kangaroo court, but it's going to be in <laughs> kangaroo court. That's the name of this episode. <laughs> nice. That's it right there. That's it. We're there. Um, and they bring them before the timekeepers and they look silly. They look awesome, but I think it's a great thing for Marvel to make them look cool, but also a little bit silly so that you know you're having that Wizard of Oz moment. Definitely, definitely Wizard of Oz moment. So this scene, I had to rewatch it because the first time I had no idea what those Time Lords were saying. It was just really, I thought they were speaking another alien language. Yeah, it was very muddled. You know, for those listeners who don't know, I'm, I'm actually hearing impaired. So I'm really accustomed to not exactly hearing things correctly. So I didn't think too much about it, but you were bothered by it. So you went back and read the subtitles. What the fuck was going on? What'd they say? So they were basically saying all sorts of stuff that, like, mustache-twirling villains would say. Oh, you would never deserve to be part of this timeline, and you and you and your ilk will be destroyed forever and forever and a day. And they're saying all this type of stuff, right? So the, the thing that was interesting, though, was when, you know, Loki and Sylphie got the upper hand on all the, like, the, the time cops over there. You know, of course, they made the huge mistake of, just knocking somebody out and mm-hmm. just leaving them there and not keeping their eye on them. Boo. Uh, Classic. <laughs> like we have, we have, we have the center time Lord, the one that's been featured this whole time. He, you can actually clearly hear what he says. He's like, well, we could talk, you know, why do they want to negotiate with them? Yeah. Well, I mean, they want to keep this ruse going, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, uh, like it wasn't supposed to go to go to this point. You know, they're supposed to have the upper hand. They, they they never thought that you know one of their own would come and destroy the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what that's what like you know she brings Sylvie her sword, the, the, the Loki. Yeah, she brings her, yeah, her sword. Yeah, yeah. So um, so as Sylvie chops off the head, at first. When you first watch it, it seems like the robots are just malfunctioning and like ah ah no. But if you if you actually listen and you look at the subtitles, they're all they laughing, clearly, which yeah, makes it so laughing. creepy. Well, because I think that whoever's controlling the puppet is laughing at the Lokis for thinking that they were even had a chance at, at killing him or her, or whoever it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, 
you know, you think you think you're on the boss level and you find out that there are three more levels after you're like, yeah, God I damn mean, it. I, I, I don't I don't know if the, like I mean, with them laughing like that, that really calls to it being mischief and stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just like what Loki. I mean, I, I guess that's an easy thing. Oh, there's there's a, a different Loki that can make machines. But to me, it's such a, a Kang thing. Like like this elaborate thing is such a, a Kang thing and being able to have well, the time. Well, it does. It feels like a Marvel thing. put all of thing. this stuff together. You know, it feels like a very Marvel thing that the villain is sitting in a seat of inscrutable power and watching the heroes flail against that power is hysterical to them. You know, so here yeah. these Lokis... I mean, this girl has been fighting for hundreds, if not thousands of years just to get into this room for this moment to succeed, to chop the head off the Time Lord, only for it to, again, mean absolutely nothing. And you are no closer to Mm. your goal of taking the whole system down. You thought you finally succeeded after a thousand years. And what you found out is you've effectively done nothing at all. You're no closer than you were yesterday. And that's what I think he's laughing about. Yes. So... Then after that, that whole confusing, like this, like, uh, like feat of this disillusionment happens, you know, we, we have the two Lokis together. And again, I, I, I push back on what before, cause we it have. It appears to Loki. be a romantic moment. Yes. <laughs> okay. I, I won't say anything else about it. <laughs> I'm just saying Loki's greatest fear is being alone. Uh, look. I say things like it appears to be Kang or it appears to be a romantic motion uh, moment. Rather, here's two things. Number one, the showrunners have said that there is not a romantic love relationship between them, despite the fact of what we're seeing on the screen seems to really, really strongly imply it. Now, either a the showrunners are lying or B, this is Loki experiencing almost any love at all for the first time. It could be a fraternal sort of love. It could be, you know, uh, I'm not saying it's definitively romantic. It certainly seems romantic, but for a person who's never experienced what he considers true love in his whole life, which I'd push back on that because he clearly loved his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I Frigga. think that this, this is the feeling of him not being alone, that that, that plays very similar to the I'm in love with this person I think that those are similar, expressed in similar ways again. I'm not immediately dispensing with either theory. I think either mm-hmm. one is possible. But I just mm-hmm. know what the showrunners have said, and I want to kind of take them on their word on it. But maybe not. It's a show about the Lord of Tricks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so then, of course, Renslayer comes and, and does his zappy zappy thing, which uh, I didn't, I definitely didn't expect that. Yeah, you know? I didn't expect him to disintegrate Loki just as yeah. it appears he's about to kiss her. Yeah. So um we're 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 off to the races with that. I actually didn't initially watch the post credit scene because there had been no post credit scenes before this episode. They did that same shit in Falcon I know. And Soldier. <laughs> they gotta knock that off. They did that on WandaVision too. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. Be consistent here. Yeah. They they didn't have a post credit scene until like the eighth episode or seventh episode yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what in the world? But holy cow, what a post credit scene. Oh holy my God. Cow. 
because Richard E. Grant, everybody's been talking about him because he's been on the, the cast list for a while mm-hmm. now, and he looks like old Tom Hiddleston. Mm-hmm. I always think of him as like the crazy billionaire from Hudson Hawk. Mm-hmm. I know Hudson Hawk is a terrible movie, but I always see him as that dude. But he does look like old Tom Hiddleston, and we see him as like Jack Kirby era Loki in oh, yeah. the post credit scene. And I he love, looks I love great. how serious he looks in that silly ass costume. <laughs> I mean, he is straight up journey into mystery Loki, and he's fantastic. And then we get three other Lokis as well. We get um, Kid Loki. Oh, yep. We get Kid Loki. That is actor Jack Beale playing Kid Loki. And then we get Diobia Aparai as boastful Loki, uh, which is what he was credited as in the credits. But in the Marvel comics, his character has been shown and it's known as worthy Loki. So, he yeah, is, you just, yeah, you told me about that. I, I didn't I had yep. no idea he was holding Mjolnir. He's holding an alternate universe Mjolnir and he is worthy Loki. So he has it's it's from a comic book where basically Thor gets banished to Earth and effectively never learns his lesson. And so Loki rises up and learns morality and becomes worthy. And he is given Thor's hammer in that universe. So that's pretty Mm -hmm. awesome. And then alligator Loki. (laughs) (laughs) Which the internet has been a buzz about because some people were calling it crocodile Loki. But if you look at the shape of his snout and somebody actually interviewed the animal wrangler from the show and he confirms (laughs) it's an alligator. (laughs) Which is a great callback because Walt Simonson had frog thor in walt simonson's run of thor which is where we get some of the best stories but there's a great one where loki turns thor into a frog and throws him in a pond in central park where (laughs) thor finds out that there is a war between the frogs and uh i think the pigeons or some other animal (laughs) in central park and he leads an army of frogs to victory over these other animals <laughs> and then somehow reverts back to his human form. What's really funny is that I guess there's like a fragment of Molnir that that gets left behind her. Some by hook or by crook, Marvel makes Frog Thor like a full time dude that lives in a pond in Central mm-hmm. Park and is the leader of the frogs of New York. Marvel. <laughs> Boom. So yeah, what a great callback to Frog Thor by giving us alligator Loki. And of course, in Ragnarok, we find out Loki routinely turns himself into a snake. Um, in the comics, he routinely turns himself into a wolf. So why not alligator Loki? Right? Oh, it's so good. It's so oh, yeah. good. We're gonna see so many Loki's in the next episode, I think. I really think we're gonna see so many Loki's. Yeah, it's the land of Loki. Yeah. So that, that, there, well, there you have it. But yeah, so we're excited. We're excited for the next episode of Loki. I am super looking forward to it. It's made Wednesdays magical again. Right. But I'll tell you this, Arthur. If people want to make every day magical, they can find you on social media. And I encourage them to do so. But if they want to find you, where are they going to find you? Wait, isn't Odin name is Wednesday too? Odin. Yes, Odin's day. Wednesday. Thursday, Thor's Yay. day. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just had to point that out right quick. Oh, uh, man, that's really good. I never put that together before. That's really oh good. My God. They're releasing them on Odin's day. 
Oh, Lord, man, the, the, the gift that keeps on giving. You can find me at www.arthurrobio.live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, uh, please join our community. Uh, we, we started uh, an Instagram for our uh, uh, Tales to Admonish uh, podcast. So uh, please join our community there on, on, on Instagram. You can also join me on my Instagram for my uh, Draw Really Awesome Wow uh, page where I'm, I'm constantly updating with um, new drawings and stuff and you can check out all the other stuff that I'm doing for voiceover and stuff um, uh, for Yashihime anime video games all sorts of stuff yes. go ahead go ahead Tommy oh you can find me on Facebook at Thomas Olton or you can find me on Instagram at Thomas.Olton you can also now find our podcast on YouTube at Tales to Admonish and if you would please if you like the podcast tell your friends tell your wife tell your neighbors and also go online and rate and review us on your podcast app or video viewing app it really helps increase our um, searchability and helps other people find content so if you're enjoying it help us share it thank you so much Tommy, it's always a pleasure, baby. Oh, it's always a pleasure with you, Arthur. And where are people going to come see us next week on... Tales to Hesmonish! <laughs> I don't know why I phrased it like a question. <laughs> <laughs> Toodles. <laughs>